Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. And welcome to season two, episode nine of the Access VFX podcast. On this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Annie Gordon, a production titan, currently head of VFX at Ghost VFX, part of the Streamland Media Group. We recorded this on Zoom last week, and what a brilliant conversation we had. We hear about her performing arts background, her various production roles, including The Hobbit and Merlin, and the bombshell that you don't have to be a VFX superfan to work in VFX, let alone run a department. We very much hope you enjoy episode eight of the Access VFX podcast. Hello and welcome. It's me, Simon Devereaux, and I'm joined today by VFX production royalty with the CV notches at Prime Focus, MPC, The Mill, Park Road Post and The Farm, along with an impressive IMDb page with credits on the Hobbit trilogy through to more recently years and years, an avid supporter of visual effects apprenticeships and talent development, and currently head of VFX at Ghost VFX, part of the Streamland Media Group. Please welcome to the pod, the fantastic Annie Gordon. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Annie. How the devil are you? I'm very well, thank you, Simon. Very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Did you like your intro? I work hard I on did. these things. I liked it. It was very grand. <laughs> so we finally got you on the podcast. I know we've talked about it and we've gone back and forth on yeah. email when I, when I put the word out last year. So we've got yeah. you on uh, our most recent episode. What drew you to the pod out of interest? What made you want to do it? Well, I did try and nominate someone else, didn't I? So <laughs> somehow got swayed into it myself. So um, everybody was like, you do it, you do it. You're more yeah, but I am an avid podcast listener, you know, and I was listening to yours on my walk the other day. So hopefully this will give someone else something to listen to while they're out walking the dog. We've done a few of these now and a few of our guests have said, look, is this being going on YouTube? Because our last season was all like YouTube, like celebrity squares. And yeah. it's something quite refreshing about this being audio only. And people generally listen to their podcasts, like you say, when they're walking the dog or having a stroll, right? I mean, yeah. you don't really head to YouTube. It's nice to have it be just of a casual chat which is why I'm at home today because I thought well it's a bit more relaxed as well and you feel like you're just chatting to a friend and it's yeah, nice to listen to friends chatting isn't it so it's a rare treat doing this because where, when else do you get the opportunity to really just lean into a conversation one-on-one -on -one for an hour really you know yeah. even in personal relationships it's normally so quick and we're all so busy but the do not disturb on and yeah not right anything else yeah just to have this hour just to have a what will be a thought-provoking and inspiring discussion so Annie, you're at Ghost VFX, you're head of VFX now. So you've been, obviously I, I referenced your LinkedIn profile and your IMDb yeah. page. You know, we've bumped into each other over the years when you've been at various various studios and, and post-production kind of houses. Um, yeah. So yeah, so how's things at uh, Ghost? Great, very, very, very busy. We obviously, Ghost is a global VFX company now. When I joined the farm, we weren't global. Um, we started the VFX department three and a half years ago, quite small when Streamland Media Group took us over a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. They also bought Ghost VFX in Copenhagen, who are amazing. So we decided we'd take their name. No, why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> but it is great. It's a lovely family, actually, I would say at the moment. But we are in those stages of, of growth. So we've got Vancouver, Toronto, LA, Copenhagen, 
and then us in London and Manchester. Um, and it's been quite, yeah, it's been a steady growth. But then the last year, I think the pandemic hit and clients went crazy. There's post pandemic, all the VFX companies are so busy. So, wow. Good time to be in the industry. And it's, I keep saying it's a good time to be young in the industry. There's a lot of opportunities out there at the moment. Yeah, the um, timing for these conversations, actually. I mean, the nature of the podcast is we speak to people like yourself that have been in industry a long time and we also speak to the next generation coming in yeah and a lot of the conversation we have is around the, the wealth of opportunity that's out there people are creating yeah. up left right and center apprenticeships entry-level opportunities really it's i keep saying it's all to play for if you're uh you're keen on the industry as if we've been able to give out quite a few opportunities over the last six months and I've got kind of three guys from our running team which is mm. the great thing about the farm the farm's got a running team like the old school post houses so we do have a great bunch of guys that we can choose from so yeah I've had been able to promote three but my struggle at the moment is as we were saying there's a bit of a skill shortage at the moment mm. so getting those guys to mentor them and um, yeah. otherwise you just end up with a too young team yeah 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 and the strength of in, that internal mentoring for that young yeah. team is so important isn't it you know yeah, get, it was a really you know, get up to speed quickly yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a big ask and i'm interested before we get into the, the vaults we before we open the access vfx vault i'm interested to hear about how you personally transitioned from being kind of like a, a rock star producer and you know we've bumped into each other like i said where you've been you know i've known you as a, a yeah. producer to a, a head of VFX. I mean, what's what's changed for you since uh, you've made that move? I think it was yeah, it was quite fast, but I think that my background wasn't in VFX. I just am very good at organising, which I think most VFX producers are. If you can use common sense and make a good spreadsheet and stay calm, <laughs> I have yeah. all those kind of VFX producer qualities. I think you know my background from there coming to here now. I. I bobbed about, I went from commercials, I went to film, I went to TV, and I saw a lot of different ways of working and a lot of different types of clients. Mm -hmm. And I, when I came back to the UK after I'd been in New Zealand and I went into MPC, I saw a lot of the, those film ways of working and just thought, I just can't work like this. Mm -hmm. And the farm gave me this fantastic opportunity to kind of start a VFX department which is how I sort of just inherited that title of head of VFX. I was the do-it-all VFX producer for a few yeah. years, as well as running the department. And as we've grown, obviously, I've really had to stand back from the producing now. But that's how I kind of went into it. And that is where my passion lies. My passion, as, as I've discovered over the last few years, working with you guys and stuff, it, it does lie in the management side of things and the training. I like the diversity of that and not just being on the production of a project. But that's, it was quite a fast trajectory, really, for me. I was... I think I just got a lot of lucky breaks. <laughs> I always say that people say, well, you weren't just lucky. Yes, I worked hard, but there were a lot of lucky breaks in there. And one person knew someone else and got me into my next job. And I just always suggest to every opportunity, whether it be a night commercial at the mill, there was a little stint in between me doing Merlin and going onto The Hobbit. And someone said, oh, come and do three months doing this night commercial. So I did a night commercial. And mm. It just opened up my experiences and got me to kind of see the different, different ways of working. I think that's helping me now. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, the, the DNA of a good producer is just, you know, organising people, uh, collaborating, making sure everybody has a voice. And I guess that journey doesn't change really, whether it be personally yeah. taking those opportunities, and like you say, saying yes to everything and just going for it. Yeah. But actually, you know, running a, a department, it's the same skill set in many ways, right? Yeah, it's acting as well. If you can mm. fake it, everyone always says to me, I mean, my background's in performing arts. <laughs> and I just go in every day and smile and go, yes, everything's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> just sit and nod and yeah. yeah. 
nod and smile it's gonna be okay it's not <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the industry summed up in a, in a wonderful media friendly soundbite right there Annie. yeah <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to get into the uh, the episode. We're going to get into the vaults. And yeah, Tom uh, Box, who uh, produces the podcast, has kindly got a lovely sound effect that is going to kick in as we open the Access VFX vault and get into the first question, which is, where in the world are you and where did you grow up? So a little bit about Annie's formative, formative years. Well, I'm very near where I grew up. I grew up in northwest London in Stanmore, and I now live in Watford, which is in Hertfordshire. So, yeah, I'm sort of just outskirts of London, born and bred. Uh, not a lot to say, really. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, yes, eclectic. I'll take it. Quite boring. Um, <laughs> not boring at all. Nothing wrong with that. Northwest London, represent. And yeah. what three words describe you, Annie? What, and I'm always interested in how people interpret this question. Some people have gone for the three. Some people have gone for a little three-word sentence. Now, I've not Very looked different. at these questions at all before. I did have to think about Obviously. it. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. I think I've been described as very independent, kind and hardworking, I would say. Kind and I love that. I'd like to think I'm kind. I'm quite, I think my team would call me that. <laughs> kindness. Yeah, kindness is often underrated, I think, as a, as a quality in, in any industry. And uh, I think it's uh, it's been widely acclaimed to support your mental health, you know, like random acts of kindness, I think is the, uh, the official vernacular. I love that. Yeah, independent, kind and hardworking. I think that's a, that's a good rule of thumb for anybody working in any industry. <laughs> so what inspires you, Annie? What gets you, uh, I use, always use the term, what gets you out of bed in the morning, but what, what inspires you? What gets your, your juices flowing? My job. I'm very, very lucky that I enjoy my job. I think what we do is amazing and seeing what the VFX artists produce on a daily basis is amazing. Yeah, I'm always amazed by people that can play instruments. I'm always amazed by people <laughs> that can draw. <laughs> and that really, really inspires me. It really inspires me every day when they say, we can't do this because the technology doesn't work and then they make it work anyway, they persevere. Mm -hmm. But yeah, music and art are what inspires me. And being outdoors, I live alone. Lockdown was horrible. I hated being stuck inside. And for me, just getting out and going for a good walk and getting outside is very, very underrated. I love that. There's a lot in there, actually. I, I bang on a lot on this, uh, this podcast about being kind of uh, culturally and creatively literate, whatever role you're in in industry. A number of times when people have done the three words, they talk about creative and passion. And I think that's often a given you know nobody works in visual effects animation or games without creativity or passion yeah. and, and, and we've all everyone's got their creative outlet no matter what it is yeah. be it you know knit, i've been knitting recently <laughs> okay. it's, it's just a good therapy in the evening to kind of zone out my mind and put down the phone you know we just all have that kind of we've all got to have that creative outlet somewhere but yeah i think that like you said it's a given i think we should have yeah. it yeah. And, a, and a, just an appreciation for it like you know your words what we do is amazing like really yeah. loving the output and being inspired by the output and of course you want to love your job everybody wants to love what they do but you know seeing that that incredible artistry that comes out of arguably any any studio in our industry yeah. is is super super inspiring I mean, you sit and watch a film you know one of the ones i was thinking about when i was looking at some of the stuff you were asking me before a recent film that just sticks in my mind, Paddington. Oh, yeah. Such a beautiful British film, and I know some of the teams that worked on mm. it. And I just always think, gosh, the work that went into and into his fur and as a creature and as a character. 
Mm. I don't know why he sticks out in my mind, but I just being on the teams that work on that stuff, I imagine going into dailies every day and seeing the new shots come out and you're just mm. you're so proud of that. It's a yeah. lovely, lovely thing to go to work and see every day. Yeah, to be part of, sorry, kind of going off on a tangent here, but being part, <laughs> of, being part of culture, you know, these films now, particularly something like Paddington or, you know, particularly those like lovely British, British kind of, movies. yeah, like, like the Harry Potters. And, yeah. You know, being involved in some way, shape or form on those movies or, you know, even, even what you've worked on with The Hobbit, you know, these have a Britishness to them, don't they, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, you've got like, yeah, national treasures like Martin Freeman involved, and, you know, they and they inspire people yeah. to do what we do a lot of the time. I mean, I've just uh, done a recording, another podcast where, what I've learned on, on these episodes is there's almost two types of people who end up working in this industry. It's those who, who enjoy content and get their kicks from watching it. And there's people who watch it and go, I wonder how that got done. Or like you say, you see some fur on a creature or, or a Paddington bear and go, wow, that, yeah, that must've been an incredible. Do you know what? I still don't analyze how it's done. Even as someone who works in VFX, <laughs> I, I do have a brain that will sit back and enjoy and it. Switch off. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's when the storytelling and, and the work is so good that you can just get immersed and lost in it. Yeah, but I can even watch some bad VFX and do it. I'm quite good at getting into the daydream world and stuff. That's why I said I do have a real appreciation for it, whether it be the best VFX in the world or something that's a little bit ropey. But if the overall picture and the love is there, it's, yeah, you can just switch off and enjoy it. It's amazing. We're very lucky to work in this industry and do what we do no without a doubt without a doubt and uh, yeah I love the different almost the different forms of visual effects as well you know whether you've got the so I say dare I say it be almost intentionally clunky VFX sometimes because you know some chart there's charm in that you know sometimes you, when it's too photo real or too I small. will go off on a tangent but did you ever see but, Dolly Parton's Christmas movie <laughs> okay okay that's one to look out for some great VFX in there. <laughs> let's, let's get let's get that on the show notes, Annie, for sure. People can investigate it themselves. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So we've we've done the we've done the introductory questions, the the words, the inspiration. Well, my favourite question, arguably, is the uh, explain what you do for a living to an alien. So it's the extraterrestrials knocking on your door. How do you interpret what you do? to those aliens this is the hardest thing because it's really hard to interpret what i do to people anyway to a lot of people okay i have written a sentence i manage a team of artists who make pretty moving pictures in a digital world on computers (laughs) i love that nice yeah nothing yeah i can't unpick that you know we've had a few where they talk about people talk about the internet and talk about on the last one we talked about photoshop and actually it's very cool i don't i can't i can't argue with that yeah I think people are, artists, they make pretty pictures in a digital world on a yeah. that's it <laughs> and bearing in mind most aliens are going to be fairly intelligent anyway so they'll understand the digital well, world, we don't right? know them you know you don't know they might go come on you know, flower it up a bit you know <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> a bit more info what software do you get use? Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> got any jobs there's a war for talent um but yeah brilliant okay i'll take it okay that's a correct answer <laughs> So going back, we like to reflect a lot on Pod Annie, as I'm sure you know, having listened to a few episodes. And this is all around, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, what were what, what were the aspirations? Young Annie I did? wanted to be in musicals, Simon. Did you? <laughs> Any particular musicals? Any of them would have me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. My you know, my dream growing up was yes, I wanted to be some sort of performer, mainly 
relating to musical theatre but you know like the big secret dream was I wanted to be a Disney princess I wanted to be the voice I want hence you know I think I've done a bit of voiceover work as an adult which always just gives me a little thrill and I love doing character voices so I growing up that that was my aim was to go into performing whether it be in front of a camera or behind a character you know just as a character voice actor and I think that's where my love of that kind of animation came from really was from there led to that was the gate the gateway yeah. I, I went to uni and I studied it and it was a ruthless industry 20 years ago it was a lot harder then I think than it is now and I just I came out of uni and I don't think I was good enough and if I was good enough I wasn't willing to try hard enough <laughs> it's you've got to want to go to a billion auditions and get kicked back from a lot of things and oh god it, yeah you know wasn't me I taught singing for a little while I worked for my dad's company for a little while tried to find myself but yeah performing arts wasn't for me in the end and it's now just a lovely hobby you know I just watched this weekend actually we just watched uh, Boom I don't know whether you've seen it no it's I mean as a as a portrait of the just how challenging it is to be a a true creative Mm. and work and 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 write and and to be I guess it really analyzes that long journey to get anything made or anything published whether you're a you know you're an author or playwright or or in this case a musical theatre legend the knockbacks and the you know and the sacrifices you have to make doesn't paint an attractive uh, picture I'm not saying anybody shouldn't go for it out there follow your dreams it's it's a real leveling piece of cinema you should definitely check it out it is and I do but again like I, said, I do think it's a more diverse industry now I remember saying to my my sister who's much much younger than me a few years later it's a lot easier for you to do it now I think mm. the industry is more open yeah yeah the opportunities are out there now more than yeah. ever I mean you talk before about you it. had to have a lot of money and be sent to a private stage school and you had to be a certain look and a size and mm. weight and all those things 20 30 years ago that they're not actually allowed to have anymore <laughs> It's interesting. That's the second time you've mentioned performing. You know, you've talked about it almost being part of your your role. Yeah, as yeah, because well I, your, your I do. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. There's an element of performance to a lot of things, but yeah, I like that. I like this. Yeah. I, I have a feeling this might be a bit of a thread throughout our conversation, Annie. <laughs> so, moving on from what you wanted to do to kind of what you do now, or at least uh, the education piece that started it, and what made you choose where you studied or, or, or the university that you ended up going to. Bad A levels. <laughs> yeah, I, just loved, I just went to wherever would have me. <laughs> Where did you end up? I ended up at Buckinghamshire Chilton's University. It was oh, okay. close to home, so I could live at home and work at Blockbuster Video. Oh, um, amazing. Yeah, and that was it. Really, it was two two years of performance, entertainment, and media. Um, the media module taught me nothing useful for what I do now. <laughs> I remember walking oh. around with a video camera and looking the part. Yeah, and attempting to learn to edit. And the last year was much more performance focused. But yeah, I did it. I got the degree. Yeah, you got what you needed. Got what I needed. Left, like I said, bumbled about a few jobs until I found myself a runner in a post house. Is there anything you took from your university experience that has landed you? Oh, in? I loved it. I, yeah. I loved it. I'm glad I did it. I think yeah. I've said the same to my sister about her degree. I think she'll really appreciate doing it but I don't know whether she, you know she might you it teaches us all something doesn't it oh absolutely it's any any life experience isn't it it's good. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about just saying just saying yes to stuff just getting out there and doing it and going with the flow and we talk yeah. a lot about the journey on this podcast and you the know, determination to get a dissertation written is enough isn't it in, in those things yeah yeah I mean I uh I could expose all kinds of 
cheats that I probably get my BA taken off me if I spoke about what I got up to in the in the mid so early to mid nineties. You know, I was bad at school, but I always seemed to end up helping the other bummers around, all the stoners. <laughs> they would all come to me for help with their work, even though I'd been quite bad at school. I ended up being the one that helped everyone else at uni. I don't know why. <laughs> in many ways, that's what you do to this day, Annie. You yeah. Know, running, <laughs> exactly. running a studio. So um, kind of would you class as your big break? What was the moment where you, you got your break into industry, do you think? The big break? Yeah. How, I mean, how, did you, how, did you, how did you how did you get into the industry I guess you know what, actually I think it was probably when I got my job at the mill okay I would say for me at the time everybody said the mill yeah. I mean they still do to some extent and it was mill tv and film and it was the first time I was really working on a tv show that loads of people knew what it was it was on BBC on Saturday mm-hmm. night with Merlin mm-hmm. and uh, I remember saying to Will Curran who who ran who ran at the time and I said why did you hire me because I'm not that experienced and he was like yeah but I just had a feeling about you with this client and he said something to me about my personality and I was like oh okay this is interesting but it was that it was the biggest learning curve for me because it was it was I'd been on some documentaries and some commercials and some weird fashion campaign for Burberry before that and so that felt like the big break into a proper high-end tv show for a proper VFX company yeah and learned a lot <laughs> so where were you prior to joining the mill remind me i'd been at pride focus, pride focus I, started my career, I started my career it was blue post production as a, mm-hmm. as a runner so sort of learned all about the offlines and the onlines and the audio and didn't you know i didn't know an awful lot about it really yeah. but promoted to head runner and then they bought a vfx company a guy called simon clark ran it simon clark associates at the time he was called he's now got a company down in bristol i worked with him for about six months to a year they promoted me up to go and be his production coordinator. And I just sort of learned on the job with him. He would throw spreadsheets at me and ask me to compare bids and stuff. And I figured it out as I went along. And we did lots of Nat Geo documentaries and things like that, multiple documentaries. And then I think there was one particular manager at that point there who had said to me, you're not very experienced in VFX. I think you should go down a different path. And I went and told one of the other managers who'd been sort of mentoring me and he was ridiculous. And he sort of took me on, basically, and he took me over to the commercial side and I did this big Burberry campaign with him. Um, and then when I finished that after a year with him was when I applied for the job at the mill and they, they took me. <laughs> Great. So a really nice foundation there yeah. for, you, for moving moving to the mill. But yeah, still, a, still a, like you say, a big learning curve and w- yeah. working for that big, you know, that big. I guess big name in the industry I guess it was to get the time right they were such a lovely team over there you know they they still are those guys a lot Mm. of them like still work together at Milk now but a lot of time for them all it was really great working with them very sad to leave actually yeah I know I know I know what you mean yeah I've been 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 there myself as well yeah Yeah, (laughs) you didn't cross paths at the mill but it was yeah it was definitely a tough a tough place to, to, to leave for sure yeah so so moving on from big break Annie into some of the kind of the, the favorite jobs, shows that you've worked on, projects, commercials, whatever, whatever it may be. I referenced your IMDb page earlier. I mean, there's so many projects on there. But I mean, what would you cite as your, your fave for whatever reason? I mean, you know, experience wise, it's got it's got to be the one that everyone always goes back to. It's the it's the whole bit. Okay. <laughs> it's that big name. But I mean, you know, when someone I didn't know I needed a time, I didn't know I wanted the time mm. because I think I mentioned to you, you know, I'm not I don't religiously watch Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But when someone offers you the job 
to fly to New Zealand and work there on Peter Jackson's films. I didn't realise, I don't think I realised what a great opportunity it was. And it really was, it was life changing for me yeah. in terms of my personal development, moving there on my own, like I said, independent, <laughs> just getting on a plane and going to the other side of the world where you know no one. And then I was only supposed to stay six months and I stayed three years. And yeah, it was, wow. it was incredible experience. And you worked on all three, right? I did, yeah. I went out to just do the first one. So Park Road post-production was Peter Jackson's post house. And again, my career has taken a trajectory that's always brought me back to post-production companies mm -hmm. and working back in a post house. So obviously Park Road Post is still part of the Weta group, but it was Peter's post house where he could do all his grade and his audio and everything. And it was opposite Weta. He wanted to grow the VFX department within there. So he had a sort of secondary VFX department and someone I'd worked with in the UK had gone out there to work there and gave me a call and said, we think you'd suit this and come out and do all the cosmetics and all the prosthetics. And that was basically what I went out and built a little team out there in the post house and stayed for six months. But I also oversaw all the visual effects coming into the online, which was wow. not, that was a beast of a job. I never, the hours I worked, <laughs> just, I think something like 3000 VFX per film. God, nuts. Yeah. What, what make what makes it your favorite? Is it because of yeah, the, it's a statuesque piece of work, isn't it? Or is it or is yeah, it, it so diverse? I got that experience of seeing what Weta did. I got to go down the road to Weta workshop and see the incredible history of what they've been doing down there. I just got to be in this kind of weird homely family environment. You know, you walked downstairs and Peter Jackson was in the cafe with his shoes off, <laughs> and you'd be in the grave with him and you are just literally working on the day-to-day -day like that. Like, we don't work like that in the UK and there's a certain guardedness in film. So just the whole experience from the beginning to the end was in incredible and people just always sort of refer back to it. Mm -hmm. I, I was embarrassed for a few years. I'm like, let's not talk about that job. It's like, we always talk about, you know, it really was just brilliant. Yeah. Amazing people. I remember sitting for the first time and ever seeing a golem shot and thinking, like I'd only ever you know people talked about Gollum the first time when they did for Lord of the Rings and mm. for that first time seeing him in 3D on on a projector when we you know they ever debated 48 frames a second 3D workflow that we all had to endure yeah. it was beautiful like there was a lot of debate when you were sitting there watching it all beautifully calibrated being put together and you were seeing visual effects come out for the first time and it was so hyper real oh yeah I was like, I can't believe I'm in New Zealand looking at this. And I go out the front door and there's the beach there as well. It was just weird. It was just a crazy experience. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. And, and, and I think I've described it quite, quite sort of dreamily there, actually, for me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, what, what, I mean, yeah, a lot of hard work, right? I mean, big, big productions. What, it was one of the first times I learned, I, I learned a very important lesson there is that people work hard, but they deserve to be paid for their hard work. And yeah. one thing that, was very much the wetter way and having come from England where we weren't treating our VFX artists very well, but they were out there where, yeah, we all worked long hours, but we all got paid for our long hours and we got looked after very well. We got fed three times a day as well. And, you know, we were respected for what we did and that was nice. That's lovely. I mean, I could yeah. talk about the Hobbit. I mean, I'm not a massive Hobbit head. Is that what, is that, is that a tribe, head. Hobbit heads? Um, Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah, but you can't deny the the impact of, of, of those films and no. yeah again the cultural impact being part of that like we said earlier being part of culture by, by being part of you, I think it's a such a privilege 
yeah and uh yeah maybe maybe we'll do a part two where we, for the uh for the for the hobbit heads maybe okay, I'll most get Let's get a Patreon and yeah, you know, I'll get you some Hobbit people on. I'll get you some VFX people from over in New Zealand and well, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> Let's see. We have a few more subscribers, then we'll hit we'll hit them with the big ones. <laughs> so I guess on the flip side of the favorite job, and uh, we used to have this question as the, the worst job, but then that felt very negative and we like to be positive. So what's been the most challenging job you've ever the reason? I'd say probably the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were some horrendous moments in that and you're developing new workflows. It was the beginning of the EXR workflow and people wanting to use a lot of alphas and stuff like that. It was it was crazy, crazy hours working with brand new technology. So things go wrong every step of the way. But actually challenging. My least favourite to work on are generally commercials. I hate to say it. It's just a lot to turn around in a short space of time, isn't it? And I don't want to name any specifically, but yeah, generally struggle a bit more with those. <laughs> That's really interesting, isn't it? There's so many different takes on why people work on what they work on, because we've had the opposite of that, where people like the short turnaround of a commercial compared to working on a feature. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that flip side. Of I love TV. I just, I really love working in TV. And mm. when I left to go and work on The Hobbit, TV was in trouble in mm. the UK. Gosh, it's just had the most brilliant resurgence over the last few years. And it really has. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's an it's a really, really, really lovely mid-ground and you don't get a lot of egos and yeah. There's definitely a lot yeah. of those around. Let's not get into that. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Annie. So still on kind of the craft then, and, and I must admit, a few of our guests do struggle with this question, but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway, which is do you have a, a visual effects or animation or games? A visual effects hero that's the question who is your vfx hero and this can go way back to growing up and the things that inspired you or it could be somebody you you've worked with who's i said i was going to struggle answering this one can i just go really really cheesy let's go back to my animation roots and and it's going to be a really controversial one as well let's go disney <laughs> disney just for yeah disney as a as a whole as a whole i mean it you know it was my most watched growing up i can probably characterize and sing most of the songs you know and i'm yeah. still amazed by the stuff they've got now wow yeah no agreed agreed i've just we just watched Encanto at the weekend i'm really dying to watch it everyone's talking it's about amazing. it amazing it's amazing mm. it's a bit of it's an interesting the story i need to rewatch it it's quite complex for my tiny brain it's, it's quite complex but it's visually just such a well, that's such it a they just make it it's you know like you said it's quite complex it's it's it's, yeah. it's disney so there's something there for adults and children. Yeah, it's just colour and 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 representation. It's so much goodness. But yeah, I do need You've to watch it. You've obviously seen Moana, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Just, oh, I love that. I really love that. When you say culturally, it's, mm. like, the songs in that are beautiful, but water animation is just brilliant. Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for, yeah. I would recent, more recent Pixar movies and Disney movies have really got me in the, the feels. Like I am quite a, an emotional thing at the best of times. But wow, I mean, oh, Luca killed me and, and, and Soul killed me. And Soul was lovely, wasn't absolutely it? Absolutely floored me in terms of I couldn't cope emotionally. Almost, you know, I would approach with caution watching it a second time just because just, you know, destroy me emotionally. But anyway, not going to get into that. Going off on a, a tan Keep forgetting we're recording a podcast here. And not yeah, yeah, just chat. chatting. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so moving on from Hero then, and again, we're getting into the, and we've discussed this pre-hitting record. I know you don't necessarily have a, 
a hard and fast answer for this, but I'm going to put it out there anyway, because people expect it. And it's what would you consider the best VFX shot or piece of animation you've ever seen? Again, we've touched on I can I can do this. And this yeah, is you got it. totally biased and it's a totally personal, sentimental thing. Again, not the biggest Lord of the Ring and Hobbits fan over here, but Smaug coming out of his cave in The Hobbit. Mm. I remember watching that we've been waiting for weeks and I think there's something that comes out of us it's a bit like if someone's making you a present or making you a really nice meal and you you know the anticipation of waiting it could be anything and you would still enjoy yeah. it, loving it and I just remember waiting and waiting and everyone been talking about it and it was like what's a delay because the renders are so big and this dragon and we're all waiting to see the dragon for the first mm. time and it just looked beautiful and the liquid gold that spun off of him. And I remember that was the first one that I saw was him and the liquid gold. And just that, that for me, it was always, it will always stick out for me. And it doesn't matter. Mm. I don't think it's even a completed shot, but that is my favorite shot. And that's, that, that was the big, that was the big money shot of the whole trilogy in many ways. That's what people were waiting for, right? Yeah. As a hobbit, as a clear hobbit head, I've just created yeah. a part of the zeitgeist. <laughs> a bit late. It's a bit too late now. It's been out a few years now. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Yeah, it yeah. probably really isn't the best VFX shot ever, but for me, hey, it's whatever what it means it to you. It just always sticks in my mind. It's the thing I think of when I think, what's the most beautiful thing I saw on a VFX screen ever? Well, funnily enough, knitting the podcast together, Al- Alwyn Hunt, the uh, co-founder of the Rookies, was on one of our earlier episodes, and he works yeah. on the, on Smog, the, the Dragon, and talks about that being his uh, his favourite job. So uh, nice connection there. Isn't it? It's funny because I think we all came out of the Hobbit going never again. But then a year later, with all these jobs, you're like, I loved it so much. I want to go back. <laughs> yeah, take me back to Peter Jackson without his shoes on. Love it. Brilliant. OK, so let's move on to the next one then, which is a show that stands out as a incredible VFX animation masterclass. Mm. One that absolutely kills it. And again, I know we've touched so on this. Being one that I said I don't feel like I'm qualified to answer. And that's absolutely <laughs> fine. And and this is why I, I very much enjoy in this episode, Annie, because when we talk to talent trying to get into industry, whether we talk to our peers, you don't have to be hardcore, you know, Marvel fanatic or, you know, no. you know be really into the craft in its minutia to care about what we do. Is that, yeah. is that a fair assumption, assessment? I think that's a very fair assessment. We don't all like, we can't all like the same things. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And to be fair, when we ever we talk about inspiration on, on the pod and, and what people love about the industry, we always talk about the community within Fish Effects and Animation and the people and people inspiring you and pushing you to be better. And actually, yeah. that's where the real kind of, you know, the, the real goodness is, you know, the real the stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning for me. Yeah. I mean, really, any VFX that you can't tell is VFX is good VFX. That extent. for me is, yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. I, I mean, I used to bang on when I worked at the mill about the uh, the, Lo- the Lloyd's commercials with the, the horse running through yeah. the, and and we'd show that to, to kids and they would be like, where's the where's the explosions? Where, where? And it's no, it's like the houses and, and post boxes and, you know, <laughs> and, and an environment. And, and actually that is more mind blowing than seeing, no disrespect to your, your dragon in, in the hobbit or you know or big explosions no, but, but a lot of my career has been doing the subtle stuff you know mm. people don't realize how much of the cosmetic work is yeah. in the hobbit and um, all of those subtle cosmetics that they they do and not some not so subtle but they still mm. don't realize 
the subtle background replacements that we do mm. in TV drama and stuff. I've, I've even had clients, really, that that was a green screen. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. You did not know. And that's good. You've done, <laughs> you've you've done, done, you've done your job. job. Yeah, completely hear that. So if you thought that the last question was challenging, Annie, the next one might also be, which is uh, an example of great character design. I but can't. You... <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. That's good. Well, let's move it on. It's like asking me to pick my favourite singer or, you know, there's just too much out there as well. Maybe I'll ask you your, your best uh, Disney movie, your favourite Disney movie. Then. Can't do that either. There you go. Start picking a favourite child. Yeah. All right, let's move that on then to the... Uh, I would say the final chunk of the pod. It's a good, uh, good six or seven questions where we get into the stuff around the home room. run. <laughs> this is the home run, but it's the really meaty stuff now. We've got all okay. of the the filmic stuff out of our system. We've done formative years. We're going to get into the best piece of advice that you've ever received. You may remember who it was from. You may not, but it still resonates and it's still. We're not saving lives. <laughs> I'm not even sure if it's advice. It kind of is advice because it's usually off the back of someone getting stressed Mm -hmm. over something that they don't need to get so heightened and stressed over. We're not saving lives. We're just making TV and films. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. I remember when I was at the the mill and we we had our our showcases, our showcase events. And I remember there was a, a chap who joined the finance team and he lasted, I would say, less than six months. Uh, but I remember him leaving that first showcase after he started and he went I've just just I've had that I was like wow yeah okay and and to be fair you know he he didn't last very long but you know but it is a leveler sometimes it's like we're just making commercials we're just making this isn't you know we're not we're not winning Nobel Peace Prizes for this stuff yeah my Um, other favorite advice to people is you could do this and it's usually off the back of someone saying but I can't we can't and I just think but you can yeah. so many people have said to, you know like I said someone saying to me you can't do this made me say well mm. actually I can yeah and that's usually my other advice you can everyone can if they try hard enough it's just do it isn't it I mean you t- I mean well, again coming back to the performance of of working life and, yeah. and just going for it and it's come up again sorry to keep talking about previous podcasts but there's a really nice thread going through all of these episodes where it's just go for it just take that chance say like you said say yes to everything that comes your yeah. way get stuck in one of the pods uh, it was, I think it was Steph Preston said people just say you can you either get a yes or a no if you ask for stuff it's not the world yeah. so I we make we leveling. make new things with new technology every day there's so much room for things to go wrong um and I've heard so many times that you know one of my colleagues is famous for having his yearly breakdown <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it Annie and I just go you can you can and he'll go away and eventually he figures out the technology it takes a while no job is the same in this industry. Mm-hmm. Netflix and Amazon are changing their deliverables all the time with new yeah. colour-based workflows, new cameras, and so there's never a right way or a wrong way to do something. I hear that. It's almost about, you know, we talk about being authentic and just being yourself and, and working hard, like you said earlier, because like you say, the yeah. process, the workflows, the, the tech changes all the time. So you can be absolutely brilliant in one area and then you have to reskill and retrain. Yeah. But yeah. as long as that attitude's still there and that can do and not right, I'm going to get my stuck in growth mindset we've touched on in, in a lot of podcasts. The will to keep learning. <laughs> yeah, and we are always learning, which I think is uh, really important to, to bear in mind. But leveling advice like we're not saving lives is, is an absolute killer piece of advice. So the next question, we call the imposter syndrome question, Annie. And the question is, Annie Gordon, have you ever felt out of your depth or that you're faking it till you make it? I have a feeling I know the answer to this question. Yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All the time. 
I felt it. I felt it very strongly yesterday. So it made me laugh. How do you deal with it? it? How do you manage imposter syndrome? Because it is we've established it's rubbish, right? Everybody suffers from it. It's. I don't know. I just. How do I? I don't know. <laughs> laugh mm. it off. Yeah. Yes. Yesterday's we were in our global town hall. So, Patrick, our big boss, was talking to everyone about sort of the future of ghost VFX and. My name came up on the PDF slide and I was the first name up as the head of studio for London next to Philip in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. Gillian in Vancouver. And I just looked at all these names and I thought, oh my God, I'm not as good as them. And everyone was in the office and I was like, God, I'm top of the slide. And they all laughed at me and they were like, Annie, <laughs> you know, you're meant to be there. But I just, I still feel, you know, quite amazed that A, I managed to get here. Mm. I mean, this was a bit of a dream to start but to have someone say to you, you can start a VFX department, here's some money. And, would, you know, when I spoke to Nikki and Vicky at the farm first about doing it, the management team at the time, there, they really did leave us to it. And they left us go about it with our own devices and have the freedom to be able to develop something we wanted to develop. And we've been training runners up from the start, which isn't always wanted to do. And they just fully supported that that kind of model and a, and a nice slow growth as well it wasn't fast and scary and they weren't pushing us yeah. to do stuff so I do have this weird imposter syndrome I feel like these yeah. other people have done so much in their careers and I just got all these lucky breaks and <laughs> but yeah then I mean you've talked you talk a lot about luck and I know obviously. but you know when, what a lovely I, run of jobs I had I just don't feel lucky it's, yeah I mean I you know yeah admittedly when I do these episodes I don't, I, I'm not like stuck in the books like researching somebody like a like a stalker but I do look on the LinkedIn profile and, and the IMDB credits and you've got such a huge list of great companies great mm-hmm. studio amazing brands you've worked for incredible shows and features and tv that you've no, been no, involved with iconic what stuff what did um, i do to deserve that <laughs> right i mean i i get imposter syndrome talking to people like you annie because you know you're <laughs> super you know and going back to i mean i'm going back to what you were saying earlier people have put their trust in they, they yeah. trusted and there's something about there's something empowering in that but yeah, it can also tap into imposter syndrome as well the, the day to day of it is you know me sitting here in my little house in watford and then mm-hmm you know driving out on set to meet a client you know we're all just sort of making do on the day-to-day our jobs aren't glamorous everyone thinks yeah. we have these glamorous jobs no, but particularly with working from home life I was, yeah I'm i was a, working I'm very late delivery. last night yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't glamorous at all absolutely absolutely good well uh yeah i mean the imposter syndrome question always gets a yes from all of our guests so uh, we've not had one person with no not absolutely not i deserve this yeah. i've got this so i lied about the formative year stuff we're going to go back in time uh, and visit your teenage self Annie and we want to know what advice would you give teenage Annie Gordon if you could go back in time this was another struggle because I don't know that I would I'm, I'm glad yeah. I took the path I did I think to, okay teenage Annie Gordon I'd probably tell her to work harder at school get a better set of GCSEs and A levels that they might actually be a bit more useful than I think <laughs> But yeah, t- teenage Annie was a bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Needed a good talking to. You. I always thought you're going to be like one of those science fiction films where you're just like hiding in the shadows, just watching from afar. Yeah. But maybe you would pop over and give yourself a shake and go look, sort yourself out. I think yeah, I think I would. I think yeah, my my teenage years, I wasn't too happy in the school that I was in, which is why I think 
again, I'm quite interested in working with Access VFX. I was sent to an all girls private school, which was very structured and I'm not, I'm a creative person. And I think they, they very much wanted to push me in one direction. I had no interest. So hence mm. the rebellion and the bad GCSE and A-level results. Mm. Um, and I ended up going and doing a nice creative degree. So, um, and once I was able to be creative and be in that environment of learning that suited me, I did a lot better. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe you needed to go on that journey as a, as a young person yeah. to do that course. And perhaps yeah. you, sh you should just stay in the shadows. And So my advice not... to my younger self would probably be to like rebel against my parents and insist they let me leave that horrible <laughs> girl school. But <laughs> keep rebelling, keep rebelling. So a similar question, but different, is what do you wish you'd known before you were starting out or when you were starting out, should I say? I wish... I, again, I wish I'd paid more attention to the technical stuff, media production stuff in my degree, because I think that would really helped me. Yeah, um, That's, you know, it's still where the gaps in my knowledge are, obviously. Uh, you know, I, to some extent, I think it would use the VFX producer that can actually do the comping might not be the best VFX producer because they might try and micromanage it. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, you know, maybe some, in some ways it works in my favor, some ways it doesn't, but I can't yeah. sit and micromanage and try and take over an artist's work, which is, yeah, that's know, true, actually. But to some extent, I don't have enough technical knowledge to be able to sometimes I'm just like, I wish I knew more and I could help you, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah, you, either way you bring a different perspective, right? It goes back yeah. to all the arguments for different, you know, different backgrounds, different frames of reference. And actually, you don't need to necessarily know everything because that's what they're there for. It's like when you yeah. when you hire a team, you hire, I've talked about this on the podcast before, you hire people that are better than you rather than having people that you have to be the subject matter expert to all the time. Yeah. I just wish I'd learned a bit more of the basics. Mm. Like I said, I did literally go in blind. Someone said to me, do you want to be an assistant producer for someone in a VFX company? And I went, mm. yeah, what's VFX? Mm. <laughs> Why not? I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. <laughs> the green screen. <laughs> <laughs> Are the dragons involved? <laughs> so again, this question we've probably answered, but I'll, uh, I'll, for full disclosure, I'll throw it in is, I mean, it's the what show or timing your career did you learn the most and why? I mean, I'm going to maybe, let's admit The Hobbit, because that's the big, you know, it's not really an elephant in the room, is it? So it was a very, you know, known elephant in the room. But what else would you cite as the time in your career where you learned? Would it be in the mail? Uh, if it's pure, if we're talking pure VFX, probably mm -hmm. going into Merlin, that was that time when yeah. I made that biggest learning curve into mm -hmm. a proper VFX pipeline, animation, rigging, lighting, what a proper studio looked like. And seeing, you know, they had such a big team of onset supervisors and seeing that side of it and the production side of things, which I hadn't really had much contact with technology wise it was really interesting in the early days dealing with my bizarre Burberry job that was a very mm. interesting one for me to get my head around new technologies and I think that's where that took me forward on a lot of the jobs I've done with like that it was the really early stages it's quite an interesting one you're like this is do you remember the old Nike design your trainers yeah, yeah and it was the early days of them doing that and Burberry wanted to do their own posh version of design your own trench coat and it was very 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 expensive to design your own bespoke trench coat and it took a year to develop this system but it was so clunky and old-fashioned when you think about it now that the whole system read from PSD layers within a 
I mean, it was, we had to produce hundreds and thousands of tiny little Photoshop files that was PSD layers that switched on and off and that the internet, you know, the website talked to. And managing that was just a huge, huge learning curve. So technology wise, they were my biggest sort of learning curves working on those big commercial and TV jobs. Yeah, they sound like serious learning experiences. Yeah, I felt like by the time I got to The Hobbit, I, you know, I'd got a lot of that sort of technology yeah. down yeah, by the stripes. <laughs> As we're walking apart from there, crikey, yeah, that is a rite of passage for sure, beyond a rite of passage. So we're moving into the, the hat trick of questions uh, that focus on, uh, on on industry. And the uh, the first one, or the first part of that trilogy, is what would you change about the visual effects industry? The same thing I would have always changed, which I think I've spoken to quite a lot of other VFX producers recently, and it's all the FX companies underselling themselves. We undersell our services and we consistently let clients sort of cheap, cheapen us to some extent. And it's no good for us whether we're working internally or with outsourcers. Everybody deserves to be paid properly for their craft. Yeah. So if there's anything, and I think the FX companies are in a strong position right now and are pushing back and artists are pushing back. Yeah, it's changing. But that's always been the one thing that I would change. You know, I want good working rights for people. I want mm. I want opportunities that I've got no problem with outsourcing, but we should know where we're outsourcing to and who we're outsourcing yeah. to and that they're humans in other yeah. countries. And we should also keep enough positions here so there's junior roles for people to train up. Yeah, um, again, it goes back to that war for talent and, and the shortage you spoke about earlier is, you know, planting those yeah. seeds really early. Yeah. I mean, my studio can't handle all the roto right now. We, we do outsource, but we know who we outsource to. Mm. And I do keep a lot of it in-house. And like I said, we've sort of brought up quite a few runners recently and would like to continue to do so as long as we can continue to have mentors in them and there's always someone for them to ask questions to. It's great to have mm. them in there. Yeah. And it does make it easier for us to keep a lot of that stuff in-house. So it's, it's good to have a balance of both. Absolutely, but absolutely. We shouldn't undersell ourselves. <laughs> Completely agreed. I think, yeah, I mean, in any industry, but yeah, we shouldn't, yeah, whether it's underselling or, you know, you hear, you still hear about people running for free and, and, you know, unpaid internships, you know, get at that, that end of the, the, the uh, I guess, talent pipeline. Yeah. And it's just on you. So the next question is, again, industry focused, but it's the one thing we can do collectively as a step towards a more inclusive and diverse industry, something that obviously we strive for. I think one thing two things if you want uh, yeah <laughs> just be things I think I think what we do with access VFX working together with our industry colleagues I've always mm. thought that working together with other VFX companies is much better than working against them there's enough work out there for everyone yeah. every studio specializes in something different and I think supporting each other and working together the common goal is the right thing to do yeah. Um, working with some great studios at the moment who are helping us build some unreal assets up in Manchester for virtual production and it just yeah it just opens up the pool so much and these guys get to work on a great tv show and it's something new for them and yeah working together with industry colleagues and the other thing is working together on things like we did with the apprenticeship scheme a few years ago yeah. and I said I'd love to do that again I know I still keep in contact with Dwayne he's still back working with his original mentor at Duke VFX <laughs> 
So he's basically bopped between both of us, <laughs> between studio to studio, but he's still doing his yeah. thing. Yeah, five years later, still working in the industry. Oh, that's brilliant. There's so many great stories like that since we launched the VFX apprenticeships. Yeah. So, and you know, we've not- notably we've got we've got a lot of them on the podcast as well, which is which is awesome, you know, following yeah. these these stories. So we're gonna go for our big finish now, Annie. Big, big finish. It's the career advice question. And it's your nugget of advice for anyone listening trying to get into the industry. What one thing do you want to leave our millions of listeners with? Take take any job that comes your way. And if there's a job opportunity in a smaller studio, take it too. Yeah. Everybody always goes for the big studios and then, you know, they want to go work the big thing, but the opportunities are there in the smaller mm-hmm. studios. You often find you get the opportunity to try something you wouldn't get to try if you were stuck in a roto paint department, a frame store or DNEG or MPC, you know, you will literally be roto painting for a long time. They've got big departments that do that, but in the smaller studios, someone will see that you can do something and then they're a bit short stuffed here and they'll be, do you want to try that? Yeah, I'll try that. And you get a lot more opportunities, I think. It's a great, great springboard. On that note, it's great advice, Annie, and we're going to close the vault unless you've got anything else to throw into the vault i'm gonna close it i think so no and wrap up but yeah thank you annie you've been you've been a great guest i almost it's the first episode that i almost forgot i was hosting a podcast i almost did i sort of come back and go to say did i say that i know even i'm like uh so if i've offended offended anybody out there i'm very sorry or if i gobbled my words (laughs) but but yeah that was really really great and a real a real pleasure to have have a good a good hour with you annie Uh, some really good advice in there and some great insight as well is there anything you're working on or anything you you can share that you want to share or anything you want to plug? You know, I always joke about this. Like, you know, I can probably talk about most of the projects I work on. We, you know, we've got about 20 projects in progress at the moment at Ghost VFX. Mm-hmm. But you always want to know the things that I'm probably not allowed to talk about. It's the secrets. Yeah, just exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of NDAs going around. fairly transparent, you know. We're, just, we're working on a lot of good TV dramas at the moment and a few films and the space we'll take that i like to give the put the offer out there if there's anything pluggable but on that note annie i'll just thank you for your time have a great day and thanks for being on the access vfx podcast thanks simon well that was episode nine of the access vfx podcast we very much hope you enjoyed it I almost forgot we were recording a podcast, to be honest. It was such a natural conversation. You can probably tell from my various musings and tangents that I went off on. Anyway, before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating. Subscribe. And if you fancy it, leave us a review. Completely up to you. No biggie. And most importantly, please do get involved with our Foundry-sponsored global e-mentoring program. If you're in the UK, USA, Canada, Australia or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or be a mentor yourself to folks aspiring or just getting started in the visual effects animation or games industry. It's a no-brainer, really. Go to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and essentially change someone's life. Thank you to Annie for being awesome. Thanks to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. Come and join me next week where we line up another amazing guest.